Geology, geology, geology. Welcome to another episode of Mini Geology. This is Daniel Minisini, your inquisitive geologist. And today we have uh, uh, the Association of Earth Science Editors. This association is involved in the selection, in the editing, and the publication and the printing of manuscripts, books, journals, and maps related to geology or earth sciences. And the association is the place where to interchange those ideas that will lead to a more effective dissemination of earth science information towards the scientific community and also the public and society at large. So today uh, with us, Carol Ziegler, treasurer of the Association of Earth Science Editors, who have held also the position of director, president, past president of the same association, and currently is teaching geology for the Southwestern College in Chula Vista, California, close to San Diego. And that is where she is now. Welcome to the program, Carol. Thank you. Carol, uh, from the height of your position in all the previous positions that you held in this association, can you describe for us the present model that you use to disseminate the earth science information? Depends upon the conveyor belt. We have several uh, uh, ways that this works. First off, our group is uh, very eclectic. I myself am a freelancer and I have uh, both written some little vignettes for uh, online to go along with an environmental textbook. And then uh, I also edit uh, road logs. So those are some of the things I do. We have uh, people that work for country surveys, such as Canada and uh, state surveys. We have other people that work uh, with digital libraries. So they make sure that things are coded so that they can be found on the internet. And they also edit uh, that kind of work. So uh, we have worked with uh, industrial companies that might want to put out some brochures. We have AAPG and some of these other uh, large organizations uh, that need to put out uh, very highly technical books. We have people uh, that uh, work for academia like uh, you probably do. So it depends upon what their particular job is in this little conveyor belt that we get. So that's where we really start is uh, many of us start with some kind of manuscript that's already been developed. Though I have been myself personally involved in even starting the manuscript and going all the way from manuscript to editing uh, to then uh, making sure that uh, the publisher is ready for publication and then the publisher works to make sure that we have the proper type of printing that's going to occur uh, if you are going to have hard copy to get that out to either scientists or the general public. And, and one of our real goals is to try to interface between the general public and scientists. 
because it uh, really leads to uh, the general public having a better understanding if it is written or designed for uh, the general public along with us scientists. So uh, it, it turns out to be quite important as an educational tool. Yes. I'm uh, particularly interested in the very first elements of the conveyor belt. Uh, we said at the very beginning that the Association of Earth Science Editors are involved even in the selection I'm intrigued by the selection. What is the, the power or the leverage that, that you have to select specific topics? It depends on who you're working for or if you are a freelancer. So I myself, as a freelancer, if, if it doesn't, um, I don't want to say doesn't interest me because I'm just generally interested in everything. But there are certain things that I won't uh, work on. Uh, I don't develop the maps. I've trained actually in GIS mapping, but I don't feel secure in developing the map myself. But I can look at design and labels, uh, text. Again, it's going to depend upon the person and who they work for or don't work for. If they're an independent ed editor, um, uh, the, it, it will depend upon the selection. The publisher in the, eventually, who is in charge of the publishing of, a, of the work is going to be the ultimate person that will make a selection for something that's going out to whatever entity it's, it is expected to be useful too. Carol, how many years have you been involved uh, in the Association of Earth Science Editors? Oh, um, probably about 20 years, I'm thinking. Good, couple of decades. <laughs> so how have you seen uh, evolving the topics that they are treated uh, in your association, in the earth science in general? Well, the biggest one, the biggest change is the fact that we do have GIS mapping. So we've gone from having to deal with uh, individual paper maps, uh, printing problems, uh, dissemination of maps, uh, just because of the, um, small amount of maps that you could get out prior to computer mapping. And maybe I should explain GIS is geographic information systems. Also, sometimes you use geographic information science, but the bottom line is it's computer mapping. And we can generate, I, when I'm working in GIS mapping, not as an editor, but as a, a client working, I can generate a map every five minutes. And that can be out into the internet system another five minutes later. So that's been one of the biggest changes. It's been one of the biggest changes in geology or any of the earth sciences is to go from uh, doing these handmade maps 
to uh, being able to generate a computer map in a matter of minutes. And Carol, what is uh, new in the landscape? What are the, the novelties, especially since the COVID crisis uh, has imposed on us this virtual existence? Well, for our own organization, the biggest issue is that uh, we, like many other organizations, had to postpone our conference. And the editor's conference is very interesting in our association. What we do is have two days of technical sessions, whether where we do learn the latest and greatest in terms of computer use, because that that's really still driving a lot of the change in what we do. Uh, maybe there's a new tracking system. So if I'm editing a manuscript, I'll be putting in little red lines uh, and, and Microsoft and all these computer companies like to change every year. So you'll spend money uh, to use their latest and greatest program. So uh, we will have sessions where people go back over grammar, uh, like what's the proper use of a semicolon. We also um, will look at such things as what are the publishing problems somebody's having? Should we be publishing in the United States or should, is it worth the money to have all these hard copies shipped out of say Korea? Korea has a really big publishing system. Uh, uh, so, um, tell, us, tell us something about this, uh, this topic, about printing in, uh, in the country rather than outside the country and why South Korea has such a big uh, printing industry. Uh, part of it has to do with uh, cost and who uh, paper mills. You, so that's another thing that you get into with publishing and printing is that now you start dealing uh, with uh, where the resources are and who is doing this kind of work and depending upon what you're going to print. For my, the stuff that I've done, for a while I was the managing editor of the San Diego Association of Geologists. So we just used a little printing company because we're only going to print out, usually for our standard guidebooks in the area, about 100 uh, per print. Sometimes there's some bigger ones when we've done work for the national park system where we might put out a thousand prints. If we're just doing a little one, it's not worth worrying about looking for a publisher that is going to give you a better cost based on the amount. But when we start getting into some of these much larger, uh, especially the industrial books that go out, we're talking about sometimes 30,000 print copies. And if you're talking about that kind of number, you don't want, first off, a company that's not big enough to do the job. You have to have a company that really has the ability to not only work with pages, because they're a different type of paper, what kind of glue, what kind of binding you want, what kind of paper are, are you going to use for the cover? We talk about hard copy if it's a print of any kind, but now you have to get into, is it going to be a soft cover, hard copper, 
a copy, etc. So, so you go out looking for uh, who actually has the capability and facilities to do what you are looking at doing. And we are talking about uh, hard copies. What's happening right now in these years, in this new millennium, with the hard copies versus the digital copies? Uh, yeah, uh, that's another issue uh, that's really, uh, for instance, in the United States now, if it is a government um, job, it now has to be disseminated freely. Many of the publications, it, there's some that maybe aren't, don't have to be disseminated freely. So a lot of times the government would print up a lot of uh, hard copy. And then just as computer dissemination uh, started building. And now, uh, for instance, you can get topo maps uh, that show the topography of the land. It used to be you'd have to go down to REI and pay a little money because they would carry uh, uh, the topo maps for the US government and some of the other you know, outfits for people that are uh, into using topographic maps. But now uh, through the federal government, you just go online and I, I, I think topo maps actually have a small fee to them, but uh, they don't have to uh, have these huge publishing uh, systems going on uh, to send this out because most people now will just look it up and then print the section that they want uh, with uh, off, right off their own printer in their home. And particularly now with COVID, uh, all of us have uh, been, you know, working at home and uh, not going to stores or any of these map map stores uh, that existed. Uh, some of them will exist just because they have uh, antique maps along with the modern maps. And Carol, uh, what about the reports, books, journals, and maps unrelated with the government? Are they all uh, facing the fate of going completely digital? Not the one I'm most familiar with is going to be my publisher down here in Southern California. And a lot of these are pocketbooks or guidebooks that people actually want the hard copy and um, actually uh, that publisher has tried to retire and uh, it's, it, he's just got too much business uh, to do hard copy work. And I don't think he's actually doing any digital work at all. Uh, so this is because of the uh, peculiarity of the geologists that they yeah. require request to have uh, books, maps, things that can be brought in places where there's no internet, there's no energy, electricity, you go to the field, uh, you go to the rig, uh, you go offshore. And so you need the materiality of uh, the printed book. Yeah, actually you've made a really great point. Uh, most people are so urbanized, think they think they're going to have internet and their cell phone all the time. Uh, but a lot of us geologists uh, really still have to re rely on hard copy. 
So may we say that this that we just described is the reason why we have an independent uh, association of earth science editors. So why do we need an association of uh, earth science editors? Because I think G, uh, G, uh, chemists and physicists and mathematicians, they probably, they don't need their own association. Actually, uh, as I said, I started out as a chemist. I belong to the American Chemical Society and we had dinner meetings once a week uh, to uh, stay up on some of the uh, uh, material. And even here at the San Diego Association of Geologists meets once a month. What we do have is these women and men that have worked for surveys are super trained in editing. So a freelancer like me has uh, been uh, very pleased with being a member because there's all this expertise that you have that, and we have a list serve so that anybody that's a member, you can say, well, am I supposed to use feet or foot? All I have to do is get on AESE.org to my colleagues in the association and put out, and this goes out to all of our members, does somebody know in this sentence, how do I write this? Do I write feet or do I write foot? And that will, and I am one of these, um, everything's gotta be just right. And somebody asked me about that once, you know, you're sending this out to geologists. What's the big deal? I said, the big deal is it's done properly and you can know that the work you've gone uh, sent out has been done as perfectly as you can. And I will tell you for all the publications I've ever done, one of the worst things is when you think you have done it all perfectly and you will still find, dang, there's one more mistake that got made and, or you know something got offset wrong. And, of course, in the days of cut and paste, you really have to be careful. Uh, you know, most people will write something and then they'll say, oh, well, we got to go over here and put this in. And all of a sudden you're cut and paste and you go back and look at it and you've got uh, that mixed up. Page numbers, uh, it can be very important. Uh, I know we had, I wasn't involved with it, but at, initially I became involved later that a publication went out with the pages mixed up with the wrong numbers. So then you had to go back to, and this is one thing about editors, you never um, destroy your previous copies until a project is absolutely done. Because if something goes wrong somewhere in the middle of the project, even if you have to go back 10, parts of the project, you can usually find out where it went wrong. So that's another aspect of uh, thing uh, to work with. Carol, uh, since we are abusing of your uh, experience in, in, in these last decades, uh, can you tell us if you see a trend where rigor is decreasing? 
Oh, in, absolutely. Uh, oh. I, I find it very difficult. And I'm going to use an example of a uh, more uh, not an earth science uh, magazine, but everybody's texting so much. And I, um, I don't belong to Twitter or any of these social medium media uh, uh, platforms. So I'm not familiar enough with all of the little hyphenations. Like I know LOL, uh, you know, and a, a few of those, but you read some of these magazines and I, I just quit reading it because there was so much of this kind of uh, text. And that's something else that we look at as an editor in the earth science. You, if you want to use an abbreviation, you write out the full thing uh, first, like Coyote Mountains. I will use this as an example because I happen to be editing a work uh, for a friend that's working on the Coyote Mountains out here in San Diego. And so he wrote Coyote Mountains, parentheses, CM, parentheses. Okay, that's fine. But he's working on a 40 page, 50 page manuscript. And he wanted to use CM for the whole manuscript. And I said, no, what if you have somebody that picks this up in the middle because he's not interested in the beginning? Yeah, he might have seen CM at the beginning. You need to, on occasion, for your reader's sake, say Coyote Mountains, parentheses, CM, parentheses, as a reminder. What topic, which mountains are we talking about? Are we talking about the Calico Mountains instead, which is another 50 miles up the road? Um, yeah, so I find it very disconcerting that, because they will use these uh, abbreviations without even telling us at the beginning what that abbreviation stands for. What is the role of the editors uh, for um, earth science, uh, earth sciences, uh, when they have different targets. For instance, if you edit a book for uh, academics or researchers versus students or general population. Okay, well, I'm going to start with textbooks because that's a lot of what I work with. And um, so one is that particularly for Geology 100, because where you're going to have the most print is going to be uh, for Geology 100 classes and, and then the lab class Geology 101. And I do work on lab textbooks too. Um, you have to make sure for one thing that you are not using uh, colloquial terms. You're going to want to use the correct term, uh, but you know, geologists will have some of their little side words that they might use. I'll use an example, and it's a pet peeve of mine. Felsic, many people will use that word in place of sialic. Felsic for feldspathoids, feldspar plus silica. Felsic, in, if you go back, is actually a color term. Sialic and mafic are compositional terms. 
So an editor that's doing textbooks is looking for what sometimes has happened because maybe you're on the West Coast and somebody taught it and then it goes along the lines uh, that they wanna use that felsic instead of sialic, which I consider felsic is an apple versus the orange of mafic. So sialic, mafic, felsic is a color term, sialic, mafic, a compositional term. Another one you'll look for is uh, people like to make things a little more grandiose than they are. So instead of using the word travertine, which is calcium carbonate, they will call it opal or uh, uh, something, you know, more uh, sounding more expensive. Um, smoky topazes are not smoky topaz. They're smoky quartzes, but gymnologists, and, and I've worked with gymnologists, they want to make it fancier because they can get more money if it sounds, you know, more impressive. So, um, so something, those are some of the things that, that I'm looking for is to make sure that you're using the proper word of whether it's composition and uh, using travertine if it's calcite and opal if it's actually a, a silica derivative, so. So are these um, some of the elements that distinguish the, the target audience, academics versus students uh, versus general public? Yeah, and then the, uh, oh, and one more thing on textbooks. You were asking me about what's changing. All textbooks now have to be ADA uh, compliant. And so we're used to having various um, pictures and all of those now have to be uh, printed so that people that are colorblind can still see the segregation, say, between rock bodies on a geologic map. Uh, so that is another big change that I didn't think about a, a minute ago. Obviously, somebody that just wants some general knowledge is not going to want to have the fine detail that goes into an actual textbook. So uh, again, I do road guidebooks for road logs. So what we will do is at the beginning of that book is we actually uh, very carefully make sure we have the mileage down to the nth degree and then have things of what are you looking at as you drive by. But then later in the book, you will have something that'll say mileage uh, 10. And what is um, a spheroid, uh, spheroidal weathering and you'll give a full explanation to that so that the person, when they're reading the road log, they see spheroidal weathering and they're like, well, I guess it's a sphere. But then you'll explain the specific thing that they're actually looking at. Whereas a textbook's gonna be set up, you know, oh, about 500 give or take pages with much finer detail about what you're looking at. So that would be one thing in the, that I'm most familiar with because I've done a lot of work in that particular genre. Uh, Carol, tell us again about the, the, the foreseeable future 
um, hard copy versus digital. Tell us again. So we have a trend where you editors, you see that there are less and less uh, requests for hard copies. Yes. Uh, and a lot of people don't even want hard, if they're set up with a robust enough computer, they don't really need the hard copies if they're not going to be in the field. It, for us editors, it's not really affecting us very much because you still need the manuscripts, even in digital form that need to be edited. And uh, I don't have this particular expertise, but these survey editors uh, formatting and um, oh, just, you know, there's very layout. Uh, I, do, I don't do layout because that's not my forte, but they do. They have to make sure that it's, things are centered on the page correctly. They have to make sure those pictures are on the same page or very close to uh, what you're talking about, you know, figures, uh, particularly graphs. You don't want to graph three pages down the way uh, if, if you're talking about it on a page. So the survey editors, a lot of them typically are very good uh, layout people. So even in the uh, editing realm, we, we become quite specialized. Um, I'd like to know your, um, your thoughts, your news uh, and views on the, on the open access. What do you think about this? Yeah, well, for me personally, the dissemination of any information that gets us out into the world is very important. And if it's free, uh, obviously that's going to be uh, much more accessible to people. The problem with open access, and I, I can tell you, I know exactly what happened with the Geological Society of America, is that they, uh, wanted to do open access. So they started um, putting out some of their popular uh, journals. Uh, they, they were testing it and a couple of journals went out under open access. But the problem is that a lot of times it's the publications that are funding the organization. You know, that's not the case for the surveys. Uh, but if you are a publishing organization like the Geological Society of America, you're getting a lot of your income uh, from those publications. And so they have a very large um, program to be running because they are the preeminent, preeminent geology uh, organization for anybody that's working here in the United States. And uh, they do have an international uh, presence also. So uh, yeah, there's, there's great things about the idea of open access that, okay, let's just get that information out. Uh, but again, the problem, if you are living off of the um, income from that, uh, it, it, they've realized that's going to severely hamper them. Is there any counterbalance, any solution to this uh, conundrum? Hmm. Uh, well, I, I do believe that what the GSA decided to do, and, and I don't want to say that in concrete, but is that they released a couple of their journals in open access and then backed off. And I am not aware 
um, that uh, they, that they've ramped back up. So um, I, I guess that's sort of, they, they figured out maybe they could have open access for some of their work, but not all of it. Carol, there's another issue uh, maybe related uh, partially to the Association of Art Science Editors. It is that about the libraries. Libraries, they have a lot of material related to geology, just thinking about maps, or very special uh, books with foldouts. And um, the real estate is always more and more expensive in the cities. The libraries, they have less and less visitors, and therefore sometimes they have to shrink, including in private libraries in the companies or in the universities. The fate of these um, hard copies is to be digitalized and either throwing away the hard copies or storing them in the countryside where you can go and pick them up in a one or two days you have them. What do you think about this problem? It's a very big problem. And I will give you another example that's not even geology related. Well, it is in a way. Um, my husband's at the University of um, San Diego Medical Center. Their medical library closed completely. And then um, the Scripps Institution of Oceanography, they have closed their, and they're, they're now part of UCSD um, and that's closed. So the, because of the expense and uh, the hard copy issue, uh, many of these very important libraries are actually closing. I uh, wish my sister was online because my sister happens to be the uh, head librarian for a city in Wisconsin, and she could probably answer that question better than I can. Um, but her library, uh, a city library, and the public libraries uh, seem to be managing uh, uh, with, of course, a, a population that's willing to donate a lot of money. So, for instance, I belong to the Friends of the San Diego Library. Uh, so uh, they do have to rely on either grants. I know my sister uh, has been able to obtain grants from the federal government, uh, besides her state government, uh, to uh, keep her city library going. And then you have to have uh, the general public around that if they want a library bad enough that they will in fact donate in order to keep uh, them alive and well. Carol, if, if you were a doctor in the Association of Earth Sciences Editors or was a patient, how would you describe the status of your patient? Uh, the association? Yes. Oh, um, in uh, midlife <laughs> or headed towards um, uh, aging. In partly, we are a very small group. And a lot of the surveys uh, are not rehiring new, new editors because of uh, the crunch with federal money. 
so particularly the the um, the Canadian and I, I'm a little more familiar familiar both with the Canadian and the U.S. governments just aren't funding uh, the libraries like they used to. So um, that's a problem. Is uh, if you're a survey worker or even the industry. Uh, you're down there in Houston and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, the, the editors there, uh, several of them have lost their jobs because uh, of the uh, industry is uh, just not able to support uh, the infrastructure uh, to keep in-house editors available. So uh, one of our members I know uh, had a, a very good industry job and now she's freelancing um, because, because of the downsizing in the editorial departments of uh, uh, these uh, industrial uh, uh, places that are associated with earth science and of course, particularly oil. Is there, you, uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, and, and of course the oil industry particularly has its ups and downs. I, I happen to have lived in Galveston and uh, was uh, quite aware in 1980 when, when uh, it was not very good for the oil industry at all. Um, so then, you know, things have their ups and downs. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if there's any changes in government now, uh, if uh, that uh, might not get a little better again. What are you trying to do? Are you just uh, looking uh, to the patient slowly dying? <laughs> well, not so far, um, because there is reasons for us to exist. Uh, because, and of course, one of the COVID-like for everybody else is given us a small hit, but we're small, so our hit is small. Uh, and we've already, we've just, like our technical meeting that we have uh, will still go on next year. It's already pre-planned. And as soon as we're free to be out and about and people can travel. Uh, and I, I didn't get around to telling you the second part of our uh, meeting. Many of these editors in our association are not geologists. It just so happens that I am. But uh, we do a field trip we of the area where we're meeting. So uh, the one that'll come up is gonna be in Columbus, Ohio uh, at the end of September next year, 2021, assuming by that time that we're all free to travel again uh, under healthy conditions. So we will have several speakers during our tech session talk about geology besides editing and uh, then we'll have some speakers that will talk about the local geology. And then we actually do a tour of the local geology uh, for a day. Uh, and this gives our editors that aren't geologists or earth scientists, because of course we're talking about geography and a few other subjects, environmental geology, et cetera. So uh, that they can start um, understanding even some of the stuff that they might be editing. It just makes their editing job a little easier if they are familiar with some terms of geology, et cetera. 
Carol, it happened to me to be part of uh, three projects uh, of um, uh, special publications uh, in some of the geological societies. And uh, the average from um, having a manuscript approved by the reviewers and the printing of a physical book, the average time was three years. Uh, that, at that point, the article is already old for the scientific content. Is there anything that you can do to improve and shorten this time? It really does depend upon your conveyor belt and who's running it. So when I was the uh, managing editor for the San Diego Association of Geologists, uh, we ran a field trip, a professional field trip, where you put together about a hundred page, maybe even 150 page guidebook, again, with all these road logs and information about the area. And that was for professional geologists. This was general public can, we, we set it up so they can also utilize it, but for the general, and we're from start date to end date, we're pretty close to one year. There'll be one or two times where for whatever reason, whoever's involved, they didn't get their manuscript in or, or who knows, but and we have a different leader. We have a different lead um, guide person, editor that, so I'm managing the process, but then we have the original uh, person that's in charge of the field trip and the road log and all of this. So once in a while, we'll get somebody that just doesn't have their act together and then it takes a little longer. So my job is to keep prodding them along. Look, this has got to be ready to go. We're going to run a field trip here in two months now. And so we have a schedule where um, submitted papers, uh, abstracts first, of course, then submitted papers Somebody's got to be out there double checking the road logs. And we, we double check those road logs several times. I was actually the editor, uh, uh, principal editor for one out here. And I went out and redid that law, road log probably five times. And I would take people with me that would be double checking my numbers at the same time. But we can, we can get a book out if, if you've got the right people all lined up with your schedule in a, in a year. But to do a, a, something in that size is, uh, I think a year is uh, pretty standard um, and two to three years, depending upon what it is. Yeah, and that's the problem with manuscripts is like you said, it's, it's old, already old textbooks, uh, you know, my husband is in medicine, so he always talks about I'm in the dead science and he's in the live science. And um, so his manuscript needs to be going out. He said, you don't, you, yours, yours will be fine five years from now. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, you know, and you in the oil field, uh, you know, if, if you're going to keep finding things that you need in the oil field, you're not going to want to wait for three years to find out that that well shows that you got the right foram and conodont or whatever 
uh, that we ought, we need to be in here and getting this thing going. So, yeah. Uh, so Carol, back to the Association of Earth Sciences editors. Um, what are what is the number of the members that you have? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. And I think right now we're around, we're probably around max 400, maybe a little lower. Mainly from North America, for what I understand. Mainly North America. And we are almost evenly distributed between Canada and um, the US, maybe a little smaller on the Canadian side. We are so much ingrained with the Canadians that we try uh, to be fair. Every third year, the meeting is held in Canada. And even now, we just came off last year of a trip for, uh, in Saskatchewan. We had uh, a trip uh, here in the US and then the year before was actually in Yellowknife, Canada. The other thing we do is, um, so we've been on the West Coast a bit. So uh, I guess we had done Tulsa prior to that. So next meeting, which was supposed to be in 2020 uh, is in Columbus, Ohio. So we specifically go out to our members and members that have people that might help them uh, have this intense meeting uh, set up. Uh, we, we try to pick places that, so that we cover all the various areas. And Carol, why don't you join forces uh, with other editors uh, or societies related to editors um, in Europe? But, yeah, so the European one is E, if I get this right, E-A-S-E, -E, uh, something like that. What we'll do is some of our members will actually belong to other of these societies. So we have a couple, for instance, that belong to the European one, and we will sponsor them to go to their meetings in Europe. Uh, we are a member, uh, I mentioned the Geological Society of America earlier, and we are what is considered an associated society of GSA. So, uh, for instance, the Society of uh, Mineralogy, the Society of Paleontology, we all belong to a consortium of societies that are under the, um, we aren't directly, we have our own nonprofit status and our own bylaws, our own constitution, but we've agreed to join this associated society uh, group under the umbrella of GSA so that we do have interaction uh, with all of these geology or earth science related organizations. Um, so even though we are a small group, we have access to a lot of other associated groups. I, I understand that the financial problems that many of the associations have, including yours. Actually, we are quite solvent and uh, doing fine. So uh, that is not a worry for us. Well, okay. 
good to hear. And uh, where, where is the financial funding coming from? So I'm from? happy as a treasurer. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was where, the question? Where, where is the financial funding coming from? Uh, good investment with our, uh, with our membership and our, um, once in a while we'll get a grant, but uh, we're, we've pretty much been self-funded and we do this on a very small amount. Uh, it's uh, $35 a year to be a regular member and uh, students are $15 a year. We do have students, we particularly get an interesting group of students that are journalism majors, but are interested in science. And so they come in, so they are meant, being mentored by us uh, so that they can move into the editing world of earth sciences. Um, but yeah, uh, I have to admit it, it was before my time, but very close to when I joined the organization that we had a treasurer who was quite savvy uh, and what money they had at the time they invested. Uh, and uh, we, we keep accounts that are solid uh, accounts, but uh, did invest in the stock market. And uh, we did just change some of that last year, a couple of years ago, because we were worried uh, about what the stock market uh, would be like with inflation. So we've, uh, on my watch, and this was, I presented it to the board, we do have a full board where I take ideas and I also report how's our finances going and suggested uh, that we had too many eggs in the same basket uh, to say. And so suggested uh, that we do some diversification so that uh, elicited a lot of discussion for a couple of our business meetings. And then uh, I did in fact uh, diversify uh, our stock market, what we had in the stock market, just to be on the safe side. So we went from a little bit more risky material, which we still have some high risk uh, finance stuff in our finances, but we also went back to a much more conservative. Uh, we took a portion of that and, and put it into a more conservative uh, financial situation. Thanks for this uh, peek inside the debates that you have in your, in your association. By the way, are, are there like other internal debates that you have in the association? What are you discussing about right now? Uh, one of the problems is uh, people not wanting to be officers because uh, everybody's got such a busy life and uh, it does take some time uh, and uh, trying to get some of our younger people that are sort of afraid to be officers because they aren't trained you know all you know one thing about unless you're a paid nonprofit paying nonprofit organization is we're all volunteers and uh, so we have we do have a office manager so we have one paid employee uh, to take care of all the odds and ends that we officers uh, uh, don't want to deal with or it's just easier for instance she manages our website uh, with another uh, person that is a volunteer but she makes sure that if we need something that goes up on the website she's our liaison into that 
she takes all the deposits. People, if they're going to pay for the conference or pay for uh, the membership, she takes care of all that. And then I keep the bank accounts, but I don't have to deal with the in incoming uh, flow of money. Uh, we, have, we have an office manager to do that. She does the mailings, for instance, if we have a mailing that needs to be done. So the problem is that uh, you need to inspire these youngsters to take responsibility and set up. Uh, right. To, so we to... go out and we do do some, um, well, we advertise, for instance, at GSA. Uh, I actually run a booth uh, for the three or four days that the Geological Society of America has their conference. And again, that's under normal circumstances. Uh, we're not doing it, it, it this year because uh, how do you run a booth? I guess they're trying that with the more uh, big groups, but uh, our, our organization chose uh, to save our money and wait till we can go back where I'm sitting at a physical view, uh, booth. And so uh, I do spend time, we've got uh, brochures about us printed up. Uh, we give out, you know, people love freebies. So we have little post-it notes that have a little signature AESE editor. And, you know, there's a little mistake on it on purpose. And uh, so I sit at a booth uh, for hours when this conference is going on and just uh, interact with the uh, people that come through for the meeting. And GSA does invite the general public one of the days of the meeting. Well, Carol, thank you very much for uh, all of your volunteering. Uh, you have been uh, helping the community uh, the great community of earth sciences uh, for several, several years. And uh, we thank you your time and also for sharing your experiences uh, with, with us, with mini geology. I would like to give you the last couple of minutes uh, for you to talk and use mini geology as, as a megaphone. So if you have something more to add uh, to pitch, uh, to talk uh, with uh, your peers, uh, the mic is yours. Well, there's uh, a couple of things. One is I want to invite the general public that has any interest in uh, any of these aspects of getting a manuscript out. Uh, we welcome uh, general public members. And then uh, what I would really like is that the survey people that have editors uh, would support your editors for $35 uh, to join us and have the expertise of all the other editors that are members of this organization. And the same for textbook editors uh, or textbook companies. Uh, I think every one of your editors, you should be able to afford that $35 so that your editors can have some expertise outside of your own uh, corporation. And uh, you can reach us at aese.org. That's Adam, Edward, Steve, Edward.org, A-E-S-E. Very good. Thank you, Daniel. 
So thank you so much to uh, Carol Ziegler, the treasurer of the Association of Earth Science Editors. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Carol. And thank you for having me.